On today's episode of Shooting the Breeze, we talk about what goes into making a weather forecast. We look at weather models and everything Molly, Adam, and I look at on a daily basis to bring you your daily weather forecast. It happens to be one of the most asked questions I get. So let's sit back, relax, and shoot the breeze with your local weather authority. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Shooting the Breeze. We still can only count these episodes on one hand, but we're making progress. Yes. Slowly but surely. Almost there. <laughs> we're, we're, two, we're two fingers away from, from two hands. That's right. We're getting there. Yes. Uh, this is a fun topic. Um, I don't know how often you guys are asked, um, but I, I'm, on, I'm almost always approached about, you know, what, how do you go about making a weather forecast. And I've actually done presentations solely on this topic because it is kind of interesting. I think what's really interesting is that when you talk to people, uh, they assume that you just know the weather when the minute you wake up in the morning. And uh, I've gotten that from my family and some friends. Like, what's the weather going to be like? It's like, I literally just woke up. Like, it's like having a cup of coffee. Like, let me look at some stuff, and then I can tell you exactly what's going to happen or what I think is going to happen for today. So give me five minutes, maybe ten, and I can give you an, at least a rough, a rough, rough estimate. Rough estimate. Yeah. But I just woke up. <laughs> but no, yeah, I get that. Um, and it's a process. I, I know mm-hmm. for me personally, it, it uh, on a quiet day, it's it's usually a 30-minute process. But when we are in an active stretch of weather, uh, boy, that can be dragged out to one hour, two hours, depending on what's going on. I've seen. I've seen it when he's going from one one way to another. It's like, well, wait, wait a sec. Well, what about? And what about? And it's like, what do you think? And it's like. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to put when you've got actual weather to talk about instead of just sunshine and seventy degree temperatures. There, you know, there is some truth to. I think you, it's easy to get overwhelmed because there is so much data mm-hmm. to sift through. You almost have to pick and choose what to look at, you know, because there are so many things we can look at. And this comes down to an individual, uh, you know, a forecaster's preference, if you will. So, um, Molly, how how do you? We'll start with you because we all have our own different. Methods and so this will be interesting. How do you go about your what's like what's your go to process for your for making your forecast? My forecasts tend to be severely limited by how much time I have in the morning. I get an hour and a half to put everything together before we start at 5 a.m. So I pull up the National Weather Service page, it's a really nice overview of what we're expecting for the full week, at least in Peoria and some of the surrounding areas. It's a really good overview. Uh, I start to get a little bit more into the nitty gritty. I look at the European model. I tend to look at the NAM. I'll take a quick peek at the GFS if something seems a little bit weird between those three. Uh, I will look at Adam's forecast, Chris's forecast, make sure that we're all kind of thinking in the same vein. Uh, I'll put everything together. And then, especially for the morning show, even though it's four hours, uh, each individual moment is very quick. So I have to pick... Do I want to go with this this time? Do I want to go with this this time? I have to pick and choose what I want to show for each individual snippet that we have. So yeah, it's uh, the morning working on a on a morning show trying to generate a forecast is 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 very complicated to do it in a timely manner. Uh, it's a miracle that you actually get everything on air when you do. Um, I know Adam, what's your how does what is your process? It's probably a bit different. I mean, but you've done the morning stuff, mm-hmm. and and I'm sure your morning routine when you fill in in the mornings is a lot different than what you do 
at night. Well, what Mo- going off what Molly said, I mean, you do have a very short time period to look at everything. So depending on what you already know, if you know what what happening, like if you're coming off a fresh off a weekend, is a little bit harder. But when you're going through the days of having multiple days, okay, this is what I saw yesterday. This is what I saw the day before. This is what I'm seeing so far today. Um, it is a quick process, but at that point, you kind of get to know what you want to look at and how you want to look at it. Um, if I want to look at temperatures, if temperatures have been part of the forecast, if I've been right or wrong. Um, I used to be very good when I was at my old station about double checking my highs and lows the day before, making sure I was on track. And I do that when I have more time, but if I don't have time, I just kind of blitz through it. Um, but yeah, it's just pretty much drinking from a fire hose, but at a quicker rate. So it's like, I've got, I've got to pick quick because I don't have enough time. Whereas when I'm doing the weekends, it's a little bit different because the weekends I wake up. I've got some time before work. Uh, I'm trying to be better about it. I'm it, sometimes I'm really good. Sometimes I'm bad. I usually try to look at stuff before I head into work and make at least a very not a mock forecast. I wouldn't call it that, but a very rough outline of a forecast. And I'll bring it into work, and then I'll compare it to Chris's numbers or Molly's numbers and see what they've been looking at too, and making sure that uh, I'm on the same page or so. But it's very rough. And then once I get here, I start digging into what we have here for graphics digging into what I want to look at. Oddly enough, I think I'm the weird one though. I pick my graphic. I liked what I like to do is pick my graphics and my stacking my show before I put my numbers in. Uh, I don't know if you guys do that. If you put your numbers in, then stack your show. Um, because the, 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 um, Stacking the show kind of, for me, gives me an idea of how much detail I want to go to into other aspects of my forecast, what I want to fine-tune, what I want to really dig into more. Um, so that's kind of how I do it. When I do when I fill in for Chris, um, I, again, try to do it in the morning, and then we've got a lot more happening in the afternoon uh, when it comes to stuff to do on the um, weekdays. So I have to be a little bit quicker, but usually by then I have more, less of a rough outline before I come in during the weekends. Whereas the weekends, I've got a little bit more time to kind of piece out what I want to do. So it's, it's, it changes depending on what shift I'm working, but the same format kind of follows the same. Just also depends on the weather pattern too. Like if it's calm, it's a lot less strenuous, but if we have lots of snow events or lots of rain storms, then it throws a curveball and everything. So yeah, my, my forecast, and I've done this since the start of my career. And I, I, it was, it was hard at first, and now it's just built into my routine. Um, but I forecast before I even get into work, and and that's even become more important now at this point because I don't have, we just don't have the time, and and so my forecasting usually begins around 11 a.m. in the winter, um, in the summer, um, that actually uh, kind of changes a little bit, probably closer to noon. Um, and so I'll be forecasting between 11 and noon, sometimes longer, if <laughs> if, if the weather pattern is very active. And then that's going to be pretty much what I go on air with. But I always, because we do have models that come out after that, that I will, like, take a look at. And sometimes I'm like, I'm going to put this down on my paper now. But when I go in, this other model will have finished, you know, running its course and then i'm going to take a look at it and i might have to to nudge the forecast up or down accordingly and i don't like to base a forecast off of one model but we all have and we'll get into this here in a minute uh, but we all know certain models kind of are better under certain circumstances and so you're 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 kind of looking you want to wait before you make that final call and so um so when i come in i'll take a look and i'll see if i need to make any adjustments uh to the forecast um, but yeah, once I get in, then I, I'm different. I'll plug my numbers in first and, into the into the system so they're there, and then I'll go through and build graphics. But I'm 
my wheels are turning throughout the entire morning as to how I'm going to lay out my graphics. I've seen when they're even turning here in the afternoon, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. They're mm-hmm. constantly... They're, and, they're and, always going. And because and another thing here at, at, um, at WMBD is we do so many shows that I actually try to not change up my forecast, but change up how I'm presenting it just a little bit each newscast, which is a challenge in itself. And Molly knows all about that because uh, she's got four hours... <laughs> Of, of TV to do in the morning, and it, it gets repetitive. Now, the audience is, it, the, 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 the idea is that the audience in the morning is constantly changing out, but you still have people who will sit down and, and watch the whole, you know, stretch, two, three hour stretch of, of news there, and um, you got to try to keep it fresh, and so that's a bit of a challenge. They get to watch all four hours of the antics that go along with the forecast. Well, see, and that's fun. Yeah, that's, that, fun. That, that's the fun stuff. Yeah. That's what I get to do every morning. <laughs> uh, I will say I picked up that trait from Chris that uh, doing forecasting before heading into work, and that's helped a lot. Uh, I don't do as thoroughly as Chris yet. I'm working on it. I'm working <laughs> on it. But I, I do try to at least get something so when I'm walking in the door, I'm not like, what do I got to do? What's going on? I've got to – I'll try to screen grab, and we're going to post this up on our website, ciproud.com. I should probably screen grab what my desktop – looks like when I'm actively forecasting. I have two screens, three sometimes, because I actually have a laptop that's off to my right with some additional information. And each screen is open with a Chrome browser. And within each browser is about 10 to 16 different tabs of different things. Now, I don't use all those tabs every day, but most <laughs> most days I'm at least dipping into them for something. And uh, it's it's usually because there's certain there's certain websites that I prefer for certain products over others, mm-hmm. um, but it's it is incredible that over the last oh how long have I been doing this since 2008 so going on 12 13 13, 13 years now yeah it started off with me only looking at three models and maybe just a handful of sites and it's that as you get older and as you get more experienced and you start diving into the world of numerical weather prediction you just like feel like boy i gotta look at this i gotta look at this and then you're literally drinking from a fire hose and there's been times where i've had to tell myself i'm not looking at that today because i can't process that much information oh yeah (laughs) so you kind of just you gotta like i'll get to that part later i'll get to this part later i'm going to focus on this and once you get the bare bones of a forecast and i found myself um there's sometimes i find myself you know, arguing with myself over just a couple of degrees and a temperature. And I'm like, I shake myself out of that. I'm like, no, this is, this is, this is dumb. <laughs> I'm going to go with this. I've done that too, where you're, you're thinking like, okay, this is what's going to happen an hour later. Why did I put that why down? Why did I put that down? Yeah. And then you like an hour later, why did I change that? <laughs> and so it's always, you're fighting with yourself constantly. And that's it. Once you start to get to that point, it's probably good to take a step back, kind of look at, all right, where are we at? Let's, let me, let me, Filter out some of the some of the noise because there is a lot of noise with weather models. There yeah. is, yeah. Now, one of my go tos uh, for any young aspiring meteorologist out there. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, grab a notebook. <laughs> I I'm really big, and this this is something I've picked up probably over the last six years is something I, I've really started doing more of, and it was harder for me to do this as a younger met was to focus on a lot of ensemble predictions. And and you guys, if you're paying attention to uh, to what I write online a lot, I even talk about these a lot, about snowfall forecast in particular, because it's easy, to, and we see this on social media all the time. It's usually the, 
you never see the the two or three inch snowfall totals being posted on social media. It's always the the twelve inch, twenty four inch, thirty six inch totals that that some model randomly spits out, and all models do that at some point. The ensembles will keep that in check for the most part. They will they're very good at identifying where a heavier band of snow will set up. You can get a really good idea, and you can get a good idea. Um, a couple of days out. And then as you get closer, then you start really fine-tuning. Okay. So a lot of people will ask me, because uh, I'll, I'll identify a couple, you know, four, three or four days out, hey, this is the area where we're looking at the heaviest snowfall. And people are like, well, how can you know that but not tell me how much? And that's where being like, because I'm looking at the ensembles and they're telling me where the most likely area of that heavier snow is going to be. I still can't tell you how much because there's way too many, you know, variables that go into that. Um, so, um, but that's, that's usually my go-to. If you're a young forecaster, I would say, look at the ensembles and, and factor that into your end product. Don't just take what's freely available. You know, I mean, the ensembles are freely available for the most part if they're an, if they're an American model and, um, you know, use that as a, as a good starting point for where, where the impacts will be the worst. I remember in college, uh, we used to do weather discussion, and it was usually not really making a forecast, but just talking about what the weather is going to be the next week or so. And, you know, by the time we get to the ne- class next week, same time next week in lab, uh, did our did we verify what we talked about? Has everything changed? What changed? Uh, is that still verifying? Is that, you know, still a possibility with the models? And um, I, I loved how there was a lot of things, because we have a classroom full of kids, so you have one kid say, let's look at this, let's look at that, let's look at this. How about that? Did we look at this already? And what's interesting is that you, you kind of put that in your repertoire if you're a forecaster, like, okay, I could look at this, I can look at that, I should look at this more, I should look at that more. But we took a whole class time to do it, and it, 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 there's just so many things to look at. That's one thing I really uh, have taken away. And now that I've actually done it for a while, I know what to kind of sift out and want to pay attention to and to pay attention to a lot. And ensembles was one of them that, you know, we took a lot of time to look at because we wanted to see how's everything comparing with everything else. How's one model comparing over another? How's one been doing even this entire winter or this entire spring or summer or whatever season you're in? And so I think ensembles kind of, give more of a pinpoint of what you're looking for. That's why uh, I haven't been as good about it, but I am also still young and Chris is better about it. And so he's been trying to not hammer it in, but say, Hey, you should probably look at that, Adam. Hey, how about you look at that? Yeah. It's it's not something I would have picked up my first three years. I mean, it's just, it is hard. It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a lot. It is a lot to look at. And you just, you, with time, you just kind of start, you just start glancing. I don't sit in here and overanalyze it. I'm just kind of getting an idea where the models are. And it's usually what I compare to. I mean, I, I'm just comparing. I'm doing a lot of, of comparison and seeing, and then I'll go back and forth, back and forth to see how things have, have uh, been, been trending. Um, but that's a skill I think you build up over time. It's not something that you necessarily uh, pick up in school. And I don't know if this was the same for you, um, but I actually learned more about forecasting outside of school than than in uh i'm shaking my head yes with that because i between the two stations that i have been at in my career i've been learning a lot more about forecasting actually being able to jump in and do it and actually experience it and see what progresses after that than just doing uh hey this what this does this this does this you can look at this for this and i i think when i was in college i our professors even said we cannot teach you how to fork make a forecast 
we can show you what to look at and things you should pay attention to if you want to know more information about this. But I cannot sit here, we cannot sit here and say, this is how you make a forecast 101. Because like we've just talked about, we all do it differently. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the beauty of it too, is that new two forecasts from any meteorologist are exactly the same. I had a buddy of mine uh, who I was talking to and he's like, well, what do you think about this guy? This guy said in Chicago. And I'm like, well, I, what did he look at? And he's like, well, I don't know what he looked at, but this is what he said. Do you say the same exact thing? It's like, well, I get that a lot. Well, I even like, get, yeah, now. And it's like, I don't know because I my process is different than his. And, you know, I'm not focusing on this where he's focusing on that. Well, why isn't yours very, so much similar? I'm like, well, one, I'm in Peoria, not in Chicago. And yeah. two, and two, even though our, we're not too far away from each other, it's just I'm focusing on what we're having here, not here. And he's like, well, you know, he was just going kind of combating it. I'm like, it's just it's a different process for everybody. Even the people, uh, uh, the meteorologists uh, uh, at the other TV stations are. I know. I, yeah. We get that a lot, usually with apps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is snow or why is there snow in your forecast but not on my weather app? Um, weather apps are usually by default probably picking up on some sort of model. I, I don't know what, and we don't know what that is because they never, why would they, they're not going to give us that information. No. That's, that's, you know, they own that stuff and they're going to keep their secrets, you know, to themselves about it. Um, I even would get this with Dr. Greg, with Greg Forbes, um, his Torcon, which I thought was a really cool little index. But I, I couldn't tell you how he got where he got those numbers from. It's it, a lot of it. I think is his own personal experience, and um, and then he, I, he's probably got some equations or something behind that. I don't know the science behind his Torcon values, but people are like, well, does that make sense? I'm like, I, I guess, but I don't know what. I don't know how he got there because I don't think he's published any work on it. And and that's a you know that was their thing. And if it worked for you, if that was something that you looked at and it it helped you, and then and and I think it helped a lot of people because it it seemed to verify quite nicely as far as you know where he had the higher values. You ended up with more tornadoes or at least a better like you know. So it made sense. Uh, but yeah, there is no there is no right way necessarily to do this there's things to improve one's skill but everybody's got their own method mm-hmm. uh, well, the first thing i look at every day is satellite and radar i look at local stuff and then i look at national stuff and then i'll try to see how uh, the models i have initialized are they picking up the ongoing weather correctly because if they're not off the bat then you already know there's a problem. Mm-hmm. We have this saying, garbage in is garbage out. Mm-hmm. So if you're putting in a bunch of garbage, a bunch of incorrect data, and I've got a story about this uh, to tell you. That if you're putting a bunch of incorrect data into the model, those errors are only going to grow exponentially with time. And by three or four days out, you're talking significant differences. Uh, so th- there was... Uh, this was back when I was working in Cheyenne, and this was the biggest blown forecast I have ever made. But it wasn't just me. I mean, it was the entire central and northern Rockies who blew this. We were expecting a big blizzard in early March, and uh, you know, we were talking. I mean, this is gonna we're gonna be closed for for days. I mean, we were gonna have the Interstate 80 was gonna be impassable. We we're I mean, it was gonna be nasty. And this, you know, we we see the area of low pressure coming across the Rockies. It, the upper level lows coming in, and we're like, all right, it's 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 right on track. And then as soon as it hits the Rockies, the upper level low kind of dissipates. But the models are all showing you're going to get snow. It's going to happen because you're going to get a new area of low pressure developing east of the Rockies. We call that a Lee cyclone, and it's going to develop in 
in eastern Colorado, and you're going to get a lot of upslope flow, and everything's going to come together, and you're going to get a whole lot of accumulation. Well, as the night goes on, the models are still saying, hey, you should be getting really heavy snow right now. We've got nothing. Nothing is falling. All the current stuff is inaccurate. We're looking at, you're looking at satellite, and looking at satellite, you would have a very hard time even finding the area of low pressure. It just, it just, it got sheared apart. And then it ends up redeveloping east of the Rockies, but it's, it's about three or 400 miles further south than where all the models expected it to be. And so we end up with nothing out of that at all. We had a few light snow showers, uh, and we had a lot of wind, but... Uh, that was probably the biggest bust. And it turns out there was some faulty equipment um, somewhere picking up um, bad pressure data. And it, it was that was bad model data going into the forecast, which then kept driving the pressures lower than they were supposed to be or what they were going to be. And it, and it, it threw the entire forecast off kilter for, <laughs> for a good portion uh, of that region. And, you know, we had winter storm warnings, blizzard storm, uh, blizzard warnings throughout the entire central Rockies from Denver all the way up into to Wyoming, and hardly anything came across that. That was probably one of my more frustrating um, events in recent history. Or that's not really recent, but in my career. In your career, recent history. <laughs> I don't know if, I mean, it's not, my career hasn't, I guess, hasn't spanned decades yet, so. Uh, not, not multiple decades, not multiple no. Decades. Not yet, not yet. I haven't. I have not been in the business long enough to have a huge forecast bust like that, but I have very much noticed how much the area that you're in impacts your forecast because I've stayed in central Illinois for my entire career so far between here and Decatur, Mm -hmm. but there's still, Decatur's only like an hour and a half away from here. There's still a massive difference between what you're forecasting down there and what you're forecasting here. Yep. I mean, I follow our uh, sister station, WCIA, because I used to intern there and yeah, their forecasts are usually different, if not slightly different than ours in Chicago, too. Um, there have been times when they're supposed to get a lot of snowfall, and we get a trace of that snowfall yep. or even a small taste of that snowfall. What was it? Mom was calling me on the phone the other day, and she was like, oh, what's it like out there right now? Cold. Oh, we got snow. We don't got snow. So, And they're only two hours away. Yeah. It's it, drastically different almost. This is a this is a really unique part of the country. I mean, you could actually – Every weather market will probably say that. Every every market's unique in their own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, out here, the storm track is is huge as far as your impacts. Uh, and, and I mean, we get it all here. Um, you know, out west, it you know you got the Rockies, you got the mountains that play a huge role, and that makes that area quite unique. Out here, it's the you know it's easy to identify systems coming across because they've actually had some time to to develop overland, which is actually really important. And maybe we can get into this next. Um, but you know the track of a storm. That's really where the where a lot of our differences or our questions come in. Five miles, ten miles north, or five, ten miles south, or a wobble either way, is going to be the difference. In and as we've seen throughout this winter, um, freezing rain, sleet, or heavy snow. And so that's you know it's a challenge. It's fun, but it's a challenge. Um, we didn't get that so much out west. It was, are we going to get? enough wind going uphill to generate some heavy snowfall and so uh you know that was kind of fun i mean when i was in joplin plains i mean the plains make a difference than forecasting in central illinois it's just some of those systems are ripe new and starting to finally get going by the time they get here they're almost completely different systems or they're even stronger yeah uh there so i'm going to read this because there was a cool 
I guess uh, recently, uh, for those who don't know, we're recording this on Friday. Um, uh, whatever, what's today's date? 12th, February yes, 12th. Yes. Uh, anyway, I believe yesterday was National Roast Day or something. <laughs> and so there's a tweet going around, touche Wendy's. Uh, so, you know, they, they tweet, you know, and in all fairness to this meteorologist, I think he, he, he was asking for it. Um, time for everybody's favorite made-up social media holiday. It's National Roast Day, like right now. So, you know, Wendy's was asking people to, to ro- you know, you want to be roasted, let us know, and we'll roast you. And so uh, a meteorologist tapped, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention his name, uh, David Walter. Uh, and I liked, his, I liked his little roast back at Wendy's. Do you mean the delicious roast beef sandwiches from Arby's? But I've noticed on social media, once you poke the Wendy's bear, it is going to be poking right back, and it's usually going to poke back even, <laughs> even harder than you jabbed. And he go, and then Wendy's responds by meteorologist. Do you mean the talking suit who reads the work done by forecasting computers? <laughs> wow! <laughs> now that hurt me. I, I, I'm hurt. <laughs> secondary hurt. I, I I'm laughing because I mean, I mean we're used to that kind of stuff, and it is funny. It was a joke. I, I didn't take it personally, but I I would have told you. Five years ago, six years ago, I probably would have took that a little personally. Um, no, but it, you know, but it, that what it was a funny joke. But that roast kind of shows what a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. Um, the forecasting comes from is that we just regurgitate model data, and no, what regurgitates model data is that app that you're always complaining about never being accurate. So the meteorologist is what is going to is going to sift through all that. And it's we're not just going to pick, you know, a lot of folks will ask me, well, what's the euro saying? I don't know how many times you get asked, what's the euro saying? Because the euro has the reputation of being a really good, reliable model. And it is. It's I think it's one of the better models out there. Uh, the American models are making um, making some improvements. And uh, and they're let's say this. They're not bad. I think th- there are certain biases within each model. Um, and as a meteorologist, it is our job to understand those biases. And if you understand those biases, just because they're wrong doesn't necessarily mean it's not helpful. If I know the GFS has a tendency to do this, which recently has been, it has a tendency to be too cold, that's valuable information. Because now I'm like, okay, this is probably still too cold. Our um, barren models that we use in, and we show on air have a tendency to be too cold as well. Uh, because I think they're based off of their initialized data comes from the GFS. So it has a cold bias kind of built in. We know that, so I can go through and now and adjust those numbers manually to get them to be closer to what's going to end up happening. If you don't know that going in, you're just showing raw data. Well, now you're just, you're probably going to have, you're going to have very large swings in your model data. Uh, you know, I, I know what the Euro biases are. Um, it, it with how systems, those big, strong cutoff lows, it has a tendency to produce too many of them. It has or wants all systems to, to cut off. But, boy, when we end up with one of those systems, it's typically really good at using it. Um, so, you know, understanding those biases and understanding how to analyze those models um, is a good way to uh, – is a, is a great way to, to make a forecast and I think would be key behind – uh, making a forecast and j- instead of just taking the raw output from any one model. I think one thing that people overlook when we what we do is looking at current data, like you mentioned, the first thing you do is look at current data. Um, they don't, you know, they think that we know what's going to happen 10, 20 minutes down the road, and it's like, well, I need to know what's happening right now before I can move yeah. anywhere for the, forward. Because um, I never have had people, I've had people like, what did, what did the, the model said, Adam, one of the models? I'm like, 
Well, I can tell you right now what's happening is that we have a thunderstorm like right down the road, and we're going to see some rain. Well, what do the models say? At this point, that storm is there, and you can clearly see it's not dying. It's clearly coming this way. It's going to rain. Well, what do the models say? I'm telling you what's happening yeah, right the now. The models are, they're just the tool. Right. Now let's take. And they don't understand. Some people don't understand that. No. And let's, so here's a good example. Um, this week, again, this is February 12th. And um, so for those listening, it's probably good. You'll refer to this as last week if you're listening right away. The light snow we've been seeing, I don't think people have realized, really have not been picked up on the models. Nope. <laughs> at all. But we've had it in our forecast. Mm-hmm. So why is that? Well, because we know, we see the systems on satellite. We see the systems. We see what they're doing on radar. We know they're going to produce snow. Now, it becomes a bit more of a challenge because we don't really have much guidance to kind of point us in a certain direction. And so persistence, which is where we, okay, we had these, we've had, we've seen these similar systems all week long. They've been doing the same thing, very dry and fluffy, producing one to three inches of snow. So why has the forecast been for one to three inches of snow throughout the week for each of these little systems? Because the models really don't point us. They give us some hint that there could be something there. Like they're giving us pieces, but they're not generating. If you looked at our Baron model, for instance, and it, you know, last night or on Thursday night, it had no snow in our area. But I'm like, nah, we're going to get some snow showers. And then... Certainly by 10 o'clock, Galesburg was completely coated, and we had snow coming through. But we, we know this as forecasters, that you're going to get something coming through. We know it's probably not going to be much, because if it was a bigger system, the models would pick up on mm-hmm. that. But, you know, there are certain uh, situations where the forecasters need to see what's happening now, compare it to what has happened recently in the past, and see how the models are handling that. Mm-hmm. It's become clear, at least, that the models are struggling because uh, the air, this cold air is very tricky for mm-hmm. the models to, you know, because it is a drier air mass. And the fact that you can still get a lot of snow out of dry air, yeah. which, you know, that speaks to a whole other topic, um, is impressive. Yeah. I think we can all agree that we're not a fan of this cold. Yeah. No. The cold can go away anytime. <laughs> I like the snow. I'm actually enjoying the period, you know, the light. You no, know, because we got five inches of snow on the ground right now. And yeah. it, it, it's just been coming in little... Small burst here and there. It's kind of, in, I don't mind, I just don't like the frigid temperatures that we're dealing with. I, I, with it. I'm okay with little bits of snow over the course of a period of time. Not a huge fan of the large amounts just kind of plopping down all at once. And then you yeah. walk out the next day and go, huh, that was not there last night. Cool. I'm going to pose a question. What is something that you guys look at, either one of you, that you don't think a lot of people look at, but you look at it more often than other people would? Instead of just looking at, I mean, we always look at model data, but I'm talking about uh, what tool or what maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, what tool or uh, forecast isn't the right word, but what what do you use that you use more often than, let's say, Chris would use or you would, or you would, Molly would use or I would even use? Something that's like, oh, this person uses it more often than this person or something that you think uniquely you use more than you thought you would or somebody else would think you use. For me, I would say... If that makes sense. <laughs> I would, yeah, it makes sense. Um, I would say um, sounding data, weather balloon data. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm usually, especially with uh, precip type forecasting... And then obviously spring and, and summer for thunderstorms. Um, I look at what that is. We get for those who don't know, we get two a day, daily. And then under certain circumstances, usually ahead of big storms or severe weather events, we'll get a special launch. 
uh, coming in from Lincoln. The National Weather Service in Lincoln will launch two balloons on a daily basis, uh, 12Z and 0Z, uh, which in the winter is 6 uh, a.m. and p.m., and then in the summer, I believe, is 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., if I'm mm-hmm. doing the math right. Um, so that stuff is very valuable. Um, it's been quite helpful because uh, we also we get one from Lincoln, but we also get one from Davenport. Now, it would be there was an event a few weeks back where I would have really loved to have one for Peoria. It would have really helped me know what, because we're trying to identify a layer of warm air aloft. You know, Davenport's completely below freezing. Lincoln has that warm, has a very thick layer of warm air over them. We're right in the middle. And I'm, I'm like, okay, which side of that freezing above the ground is it going to be? You know, and so that would have been helpful. And I was using forecast, model forecast soundings, but each model, you know, was just either slightly warmer or slightly colder. And so you're kind of um, uh, thrad- uh, straddling that line. But that's probably something I would probably use more than I think most on-air Mets would probably use in their daily routine. I was going to say, I use SKU-T very rarely, but nine times out of ten I'm using it to mess with somebody. Like, oh, this is the data I'm looking at. They're like, what does that mean? It's like, exactly. Yeah. It's like speaking foreign language. <laughs> I like to show how smart I am. But, no, those it's very useful information. I remember asking you a couple weeks ago, well, what do you think about this forecast? Like, why didn't it do this? And we were talking about it, and it's like, I think because the layer, I don't remember, was, was yeah. it moist enough for weather? And you were showing me the sounding. I'm like, ah, it's nice to look at, like, another level. Because people think we go left or right, you know, sky-wise, left or right. It's all the same. But. The, the the atmosphere changes as you go up. It's very it is it's three dimensional. Mm-hmm. It's weird because a lot of cloud layers are t- kind of almost very two dimensional and flat. And then the only vertical clouds you really get are thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. But the the atmosphere is is very complex. Mm-hmm. It's it's it behaves very much like a fluid. And it, it's you know we look at jet streams as streams of air on our graphics, but they're really three dimensional tubes of air mm-hmm. that are blowing. Um, and so that's kind of a better representation. And then those, though they're not perfect tubes either. They're kind of lobey, and so they're off shaped, and they they you know they behave like a fluid, like a lava lamp. I mean, you got <laughs> just moving at very high rates of speed. I think the one thing I use, I don't know if you guys use it more or not, because uh, I haven't worked here long enough. But uh, a lot of past data, I like to look at what happened yesterday and the day before and the day before that, and just just kind of see what the trend has been overall. Um, if there's been something I missed, uh, for more for for me, just so I can like correct myself and go, oh, okay, I put seven that day. We ended up having nine. All right. Well, what did I do wrong? Was there anything big that I missed? Uh, I put sunny and it was partly cloudy. Okay. Well, what did I miss there? So for me, it's more of a backtracking thing. I wouldn't say it's more forecasting, but it's more of mm-hmm. a backtracking for later. Um, Cause I do like to look at past data just to kind of get an idea of what's going on and all that stuff. Molly. I, personally really like almanac data especially right now when we're in these not necessarily record cold uh instances that we're having but just the very very far below normal uh seeing where we would typically be at compared to what we are at right now where we're going to be at in a few days where we have been what the trend has been now compared to what the trend has been in past years Mm -hmm. uh i really like looking at that especially like right now normally we're in the mid 30s um yeah. I miss that, Chris. I miss the 30s, too. Come back. Come back. <laughs> it's my Rose Dawson. <laughs> Come back. I miss, I miss, man, I even miss 20s at this point. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I'm going to be, it's going to be the roaring 20s when we get back there, i tell you what. Oh, shorts man. weather, you know, shorts weather. <laughs> Wait, you guys, Heat wave. You guys haven't been wearing shorts outside? As I walk out of the gym the other day with shorts and a sweatshirt. <laughs> no, you know what? My daughter, and she missed the bus because of this. She went out to the. I'm like, all right, grab a jacket, head out the door, and I'm I'm gonna watch you as you you go out to the bus. And 
She goes out there. She gets halfway out the door, and I see her through the window. I'm like, she's not wearing a jacket. And I'm like, yo, get get back in here and get a jacket on. She's like, I don't. I'm like, no, it is zero degrees. Get a jacket on. I'm not sending my kid to weatherman's daughter is not going to school without it. <laughs> That'd be a great look for you, Chris. Great look for you. So anyway, she. I wasn't going to let her go to school without a jacket, but yeah, uh, but uh, kids these days they think. But yeah, they think. I mean, I was shorts. We always had one in college. There's oh, always a there's short. There's always one. There's always shorts and sandals. Me. <laughs> Adam, it was. I. I'm not. I, I probably did it a few times running. You know, going to school to you know, knowing I had a quick walk. Although for those at home, it is a big mistake because you could slip, you could fall, <laughs> you could get stuck out there longer than you anticipated, and then you're going to end up with frostbite concerns. So we don't advocate. Doing no, that. no. <laughs> I was I was at the gym. That's why I had shorts on in the first place. In and out very quick, and I was briskly walking because at the minute I touched the uh, cold air, I was like, well, I chose I chose poorly. That's a, that's a bad mistake. <laughs> See, you're all on the spectrum of oh, I'm going to wear shorts outside. We all know that I'm at the opposite end. I'm wearing my winter coat in the building right now because I am constantly yeah. cold, especially in the winter time. So I wear. I wear sweatpants to work every morning. I have a jacket stashed in the studio for when I need it. I'm wearing my winter coat while I'm forecasting in the mornings. Coats are nice. Yeah. They're very nice. I like them. <laughs> I have I call my jacket that I have stashed in the studio my polar bear jacket cuz it's white and it's fluffy and it's really really soft. Oh. Sounds good. All right. Anything else we want to add before we wrap this up? Uh, all I can think of is we've talked about current data. We've talked about models. And anything else we want to talk about, guys? We talked about the models that we not like, not the models that everyone else well, thinks that we mean. Bro. <laughs> 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 That's a whole other topic. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, you know, I like to end with a corny, cheesy joke. Mm-hmm. So, And I think this one's relatable for a lot of people. So what do you eat when you're cold and angry? A burger.